You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in to another edition of Inside Carolina's Day After. We are sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Buck Sanders, do you like my uh, golf shirt? You like this? Absolutely, very nice. Golf very shirt? nice. I um, very nice. think I'll be playing sometime soon. More, more of that later. Uh, back door, baby. Nice back door. Back door's always open. <laughs> Buck, let's get into North Carolina, forty-one twenty-four over Pittsburgh. I think everybody was pretty close on the predictions of a thirty-one seventeen. 30 to 13 type deal, two special teams touchdown scored, one for each team, kind of pushed the final to 41-24. But, Buck, I said last week it was a business trip to Pittsburgh, and Carolina handled business. Yeah, they did. And uh, a couple of things about that handling of business that I thought were um, something to build on going forward is that early on, Pittsburgh, just hit North Carolina mouth and it just ran all over the top of North Carolina. Uh, Jakovic could not miss a pass. They were just running up and down the field and, uh, they had, they got of their, uh, total yards for the game. They got 105 of them, uh, in that first quarter, I think or 150. I'm sorry. They had almost half their yardage in the first quarter, but after, after getting punched in the mouth, um, North Carolina got up off the ground and, uh, dusted themselves off and, and went ahead and finished that business trip the way that we, uh, you expected them to do. Um, uh, so that, that's the good thing. I thought they responded well, um, uh, to, uh, the energy that Pittsburgh brought initially instead of giving into it. So I agree with that. I mean, there's not a Carolina fan in the world that wasn't watching the first couple drives of that game going, here we go again. And they sort of put their foot down, Jason, to Buck's point, 152 yards total for Pitt in the first half, or excuse me, in the first quarter, only 84 over the next two quarters. Uh, your overall take before we dig into the weeds. Well, you know, Carolina waded into a heavyweight fight in this one. This was This was – and this was not boxing. This was fighting, <laughs> right? Carolina went in to box and they got into a street fight. And ultimately the thing that has to be really encouraging for you, if you're Mac Brown, if you're the coaching staff, if you're those players is look, we just got dragged into a street fight and we didn't just out punch them. We were able to, we were able to take, take some punches, get up off the mat and then, deliver some blows ourselves and ultimately outclass our opponent with the combination of boxing and, and, and really aggressive, you know, some power punches in there as well. So, you know, early on, it, it was clear Pitt was interested in 
bringing a physical edge to the game that I'm, you know, and, and energy. I think you point you 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 use the right word there. That Carolina was not quite ready for up front and up front and just in general. But once they adjusted, and I think they made a couple a couple adjustments, little little small adjustments on defense as well. Once they adjusted and they got a couple stops, things the, the worm turned real quick, and then Carolina was able to to become the aggressor. Uh, and I thought it was really important coming into this game. I thought it was really important that Carolina would be able to get in front enough to sort of dictate. And once they got up by ten points, this game turned Pitt couldn't do what they wanted to do the same way and and that changed a lot I thought it was interesting you know it kind of reminded me oh what's his name the the guy that was heavy that's now not so heavy the boxer Tyson Fury he's getting his butt kicked out the gate and then he just comes back gradually but that that's why this season and we're going into a bye week and we'll analyze it and dissect it over the next two weeks but that's why this season feels a little different for me watching You've watched about as much as I have. Uh, the team is able to turn the narrative within a game, sometimes within a quarter. And that's not been something that these these teams have done in the past is that once it started, they couldn't stop it uh, until the horn ran out and they had a chance to go back. To Jason's point, yeah. to your point early, that's why it feels a little different. 4-0 feels a little different. I know it's the first time since 97 and then I think 83 – but that's why 4-0 feels different from my perspective, at least. But what do you think? I, I think it does feel different for that reason. And I think that uh, is created by having players that when the team looks out on the field and sees that guy out there on the field, immediately they've got some comfort level with what they're doing, what they're trying to do. They look out there and they see Drake May giving it all he's got, and they see uh, players like Elijah Huzzy, Cayman Rucker. Uh, I thought uh, the linebackers had a great game. I thought Power Eccles may have had his best game as a Tar Heel. Um, so when you look out there and you see those players that, that are seasoned and uh, are competitors and, and you have been with them every day, um, the team as a whole – and that's just part of leadership in general, but in, in a very practical way, um, it's easy easier to have some confidence in what you're trying to do when you look out there and you see Drake May throwing the ball left-handed um, in the end zone for touchdowns. Uh, so I, I, I attribute that different feeling to the presence of some people um, that have the kind of stature uh, that – the team can rely on and respond to. Let's go ahead and have the Drake May portion, Jason, um, <laughs> because, you know, it's funny. He, he did a little left-handed finger roll a couple weeks ago, and, uh, you know, Adam Smith, inside Carolina's Adam Smith, said, oh, you're pretty good with your left, aren't you? And he said, yeah, I, I can't dunk, but I, I'm pretty good. What do you think about that throw? I, I mean, the dude is a gamer. He's beat up. He's been beat up. Pitt did everything they could to get him out of the game, and, and that's what you got to do. But what did you think about his performance starting with that, that left-handed throw to Paysor? Well, the first thing about that throw is you're going to get people that are going to say, you know, oh, you know, taking a risk or whatever on, on some of that. The thing is, it's such a smart play because you've got a guy that's there 
wide, wide open. There's nobody next to him, right? And you're about to take a loss if, if, if nothing else happens. So the, 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 the only question is, can you get that ball from your tuck to be able to get it out? If you can just throw it in there, and, and, and if you miss, nothing lost. It's just an incompletion. But, you know, the thing is, everybody, especially this is one of the reasons I, I really like quarterbacks who, who are basketball players, who've been basketball players, is you do have to learn to do certain things with both hands. And you do learn how to how to how to improvise a little bit more because basketball is a less structured game. If you don't get exactly the right shot at the elbow, you know, sometimes you just have to take a shot that's a little bit off balance, off platform and find a way to get yourself you know, situated to be able to get that off and you learn how to improvise a little bit. And that's one of the things that, that, that Drake may has shown over his, you know, now two and a third years as a starter or one and a third years as a starter is the ability to improvise when things aren't perfect, he can improvise. And that's a, that's a great example of that, uh, that, that play is, because it looks risky, it looks you know crazy. Like who's going to try a pass at their left hand? But I mean, it it's just you're just shoveling it out there. You're just trying to get it to get it over. As soon as you get it over them, it's 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 fine. Um, it's not like it's a hard throw. It's just a matter of like just shot put the ball there, and that's what he did. Uh, and that's one of the things I really like about him is that some of the things that he does. I think some other guys could do potentially a lot of other guys could do, but people won't do because they're not willing to even make the attempt. And he he's, he's willing and able to do that. And, uh, you know, beyond that, uh, he got beat up pretty good in this game. Mm-hmm. You know, he took, he took some shots and he, he came in pretty sore as it is. I mean, I, I think that guy's pretty grateful that this is an open date coming up and, you know, he, he came in, little beat up from the Minnesota game where he, in a couple cases, took some shots he didn't really need to take. And in this one, he tried to protect himself, but he still took some shots. I mean, they I thought they struggled a little bit up front early in the game, and he took a couple big hits early in the game. But the dude is a tough dude. He, he showed that when it's a really uh, hostile environment, uh, in terms of the 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 rude awakening that you get, or the rude rude welcome that you get from a from a good defensive line that's going to play physical and con- going to try to take take their shots and play through the whistle, he kept getting up and and finding ways to make throws. He did miss a couple throws that you look at and you're like, you know that he shouldn't have missed that one, and but you know he kept coming right back and and he'd make a throw to compensate for that down the line. So you know I, I thought this was a this was a very good performance from him on the whole. And even though, you know, on some things, the numbers weren't quite what they were, say, against Minnesota. One of the great things that he's done so far this year is he's managed each game. And, you know, game manager is a uh, is a dirty word among quarterbacks and all that. But to me, that's the that's the bare minimum for really good quarterbacking. And, you know, take a take a guy who can manage a football game and you've got a, you've got a legitimate quarterback. You take a guy that can manage a football game and do the things that Drake may does. And now you've got an, a true elite quarterback and, and he's playing very much within himself. Even when, even if you're looking at things like that, that left-handed play, 
everything that he tried to do in this game was really within himself and he didn't he didn't take any unnecessary risks or do anything stupid i agree with everything you talked about there game manager very highly underrated uh, talent for quarterbacks talk to tom brady about being a game manager right i mean that guy game managed his way to seven super bowl titles yeah and you, you you do not lose the game at bare minimum and now all the rest goes to winning it but um I thought, and this is, was an interesting dynamic, on that first run by Drake, I think it was a one-yard run early, the the uh, Pittsburgh defender stayed with the receiver and Drake walked into the end zone. And then you have a very similar situation later. The defender comes up, Drake throws it to him, shot puts it to him, um, flips it out there to him, and it's an easy touchdown. But from your perspective, we're four games in to Drake's second year as starting quarterback. Um, everybody says he's gone to the league next year, including us. Um, your overall thoughts on how you put Drake's performance against Minnesota, against Pittsburgh last night, in perspective for North Carolina fans that maybe don't remember North Carolina quarterbacks over the years other than Drake May and Sam Howell? Well, I, I, that's sort of a tall order to put all that in perspective, you know. Yep. Uh, you got you three know, minutes. The uh, <laughs> the, uh, the the pass in the end zone. Jason was talking about. Sometimes you have to improvise. You know the basketball uh, overlay on physical skills or whatever. But the thing that he didn't have to worry about too much when he shot putted that ball to Brazor, he wasn't trying to fit it in a tight window, right? I mean, being Brazor, there was nobody within you know, 10 feet of Kobe when he threw that ball. So Kobe could respond to the way the ball was thrown and, and have a pretty good chance to make, make the catch. The The thing that I think probably is uh, the hardest to get used to uh, from a looking back at past quarterbacks, and I think this even applies to Sam Howell to some extent, is Drake May's processing speed in his head. He processes things so quickly, and and he just sees what's happening and and filters it all in to, okay, I'm running the ball in. Some guys are coming up. There's Kobe. He's wide open. I'm going to shot put the ball. All that is done with a processing speed that – you know, it's just not something you're used to seeing. And I, I think that might be the difference between um, Drake May and a lot of quarterbacks, not just at North Carolina, but at other places too. His ability to see and process things in real time as they're happening on the field is just outstanding. And that's what makes him so good. I think he's still getting used to a little bit uh, the things that Chip Lindsey is asking him to do as opposed to what Phil Longo asked him to do. But he's getting there. And neither Drake May nor the Tar Heels have played a complete game to this point this year, and they're 4-0. So I think that sort of indicates where their potential is. Yep. And, Buck, a lot of people in the chat are saying you're a little lower audio than – my dulcet tones and Jason's sultry 
baritone. I, I, pumped, I pumped it up a little bit. So, uh, <laughs> already, it, I saw it and pumped it up a little, so we'll see. Well, Jason, you know, I, I'm not going to get on my soapbox about the production of the, the show, of the TV, of the game last night. Um, but we've talked about what teams are doing on the back end, and people in the chat are, are asking, and it was a thought. It, it felt like at times last night, May was holding the ball way too long and worked themselves into sacks. Uh, Pittsburgh likes to do a little bit of different things, but I think it also speaks to maybe North Carolina's receivers weren't able to get over the top if they were looking for those shots. What did you see sort of on, on a, you know, if we have to negative, negatively look at Drake's performance, you know he's going to beat himself up. 22 for 30, 296, pretty solid. Another 70-plus completion percentage. Um, but what did you see from him as far as that aspect, maybe holding the ball a little too long and allowing Pitt's defense to get home at times? There were a couple of those for sure. Um, and I do think that, that it was a mixed bag in terms of, of cause. Uh, there were a couple times where when, when you and, – and the hard part is right – it's just going off of, uh, off of TV copy right now. But there are a couple times where it looked to me like – there wasn't a whole lot that was breaking open initially and he's waiting on some stuff to, to go. So you're looking at really good coverage and Carolina's receivers need to do a better job getting off coverage, but Pitt doing a good job of, of matching and understanding what, what Carolina is trying to do there. Uh, so some of that, some of it was that uh, some of it is what was a matter of like, the, there, there are a couple shots that they tried to take and you know, when you've got a little bit deeper developing stuff, Sometimes you're you're going to have to hold it just a beat longer to let that guy get there. And there are a couple times where he he held it as long as he needed to. And if he'd gotten just like two tenths of a second longer, a guy is breaking open. He just didn't have the positioning in the pocket to be able to make the throw or to be able to see that happening right at right when he needed to. Uh, because things started to break down just a little bit too early. So some of it was just the timing of a guy starting to break open versus when the protection started to break down. And again, look, you're looking at a pit team that they're bringing pressure. They're, 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 they're letting, they've got a good defensive line and they're turning those guys loose. We all knew that's, that's, that's the game when you're playing pit, right? Is how quickly can you get open for a bigger play downfield? And how quickly can they get to your quarterback before that happens, right? It's a, it's your, you know, it's two races against the clock, uh, and a few times Pitt won that race, even though somebody was just starting to break open. And there were a couple times where it looked to me like he missed a guy that should have been a check down right away, as he's feeling pressure, or as he's starting to to feel that breakdown, he started to pull the ball and look to move and. There's one time in particular where it stood out to me where there's a back out to his right in the flat and the back's open and he should have, I saw him scan through his, his, his progression, you know, one, two, and then he should have worked back to three right now on that. And instead he tried to pull and make and, and move in the pocket. And they did a great job of staying in their rush lanes and compressing. He didn't have a whole lot of, of room to run in mo through most of this game and, and room to escape the pocket. And that's what a lot of teams have been doing against him is, is really trying to stay disciplined in their rush lanes and 
keep him from being able to escape the pocket because that's you know that he's as dangerous doing that as anybody and he he just pulled pulled it down instead of just tossing it out there and it should have been a routine little flip out to the back and now you got five ten yards and so there were a couple times and I think that's going to be something they'll work on over the course of the uh, of the the buy and, and watching some of the film from this and a couple others there have been a couple times where he's got just a little bit more time in the pocket and there is actually a check down there that, that he just needs to take and he needs to take a little earlier and be willing to continue to take, to, to take a profit. And uh, you know, that's, that's a little bit against his nature, partly because he's been able to, to do so much with his legs, escaping the pocket and all that. But that's, I think one of the most important things left for his development right now. Yeah. I mean, three yards rushing for Drake. I can't remember a game um, that he they had that even when they struggled last year. Maybe we can go back and look. But uh, Buck, any any worries about the run game? That seems to be a popular thing in the chat. Um, I do not think so. I think they desperately need Willie Lampkin back. I think he makes a big difference up there. But but Carolina again, um, you know, less than a hundred yards rushing against Pittsburgh. Again, it goes back to what I said in the beginning and what we've talked about and why it feels different. They're able to still win when they don't run the ball. Helps to have, you know, the Drake May. But any concerns there, Buck, when you watch this offense? I I tend to say no, and I think I saw Jason shake his head no. Uh, but that is a question that folks have. Well, I think you nailed it right out of the gate on that by talking about Willie Lampkin some. If you can get him back over on that left-hand side, I think he and Diego Pounds together can create some stuff on uh, that side of the line in the running game that's uh, not not there presently. So um, I think he makes a huge difference. And, you know, with Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh is, is typically is good against the run, right? I mean, you're not playing um, our sisters of the poor out there as far as rushing defense goes. Uh, they've shown that they're able to run the ball, but they just weren't able to run it against Pitt. And in a way, that's almost a positive, right? That you are flexible and variable enough in your offense so that uh, if if the run game is not working, you can go through the air and and you know do business that way, and vice versa, like uh, we saw happening, you know, with uh, South Carolina, I guess, or was it one of those games? Anyway, uh, I think the, the ability to, you know, one of the things that we always talk about is defenses always want to make offenses left-handed, make them do something that they're not very good at. But I think it's hard to do with this North Carolina team because if you're going to give away one side of the ball or one phase of the offense, they could hurt you with the other phase. So, um, you know, I'm I'm not all that concerned about it. I'd like to see, like as you would, and every probably everybody in the chat would like to see uh, Willie Lamp can get back because uh, Big Willie makes things happen over there in the run blocking game on the left hand side. I'm gonna bring in a question from the chat for you, Jason, and shout out to the 530 currently 535 people in here. Um, you need to uh, get it up above 600. I think we had 600 live from the Weston lobby in Charlotte after the South Carolina game 
First to tailgate. It's a new name in the chat, so I'm going to bring you in here and uh, come tailgate with us in the Bowls lot in a couple weeks. Jason, can we speak to the lack of creativity in the run game? Inside handoff is an A and B gap run only. Your thoughts there? I, I do think they tried to use the old, have them both in the backfield, underneath it to Brooks. You know, that worked against Minnesota, did not work against Pitt. What do you see there, Jason? Well, so first of all, um, you know, you got to remember, it depends on what you mean by inside handoff. I don't think it's just A or B gap as the only thing that they're doing running running the football. you got to remember that in today's game, you expect p- plays to bounce a little bit here and there depending on how the defense is, is playing it. So when you're running, say, inside zone, the way that they block it, in this offense, it's start on play side A gap is your aiming point and work your way back on the cutback to backside A gap as your most likely cutback. So if it, play side A gap is, if it's if it's zone right, play side A gap is the, uh, is the, um, is the aiming point. That's, you know, your right side. And then if the flow of the defense kind of, takes that a gap away you're going to bend back to the to the backside a gap which is that left side of the center and then if that closes you just keep working your way back that's the way that works and if the whole line kind of flows to the right then you cut it back and you take it all the way to the outside or if you know there seems to be something happening where the everything just kind of gets stopped there then the back has the ability to sort of set his feet and bounce it outside to the right you're not going to get that very often there but that that can happen more more on outside zone but you start with that aiming point with something like power or counter they're usually trying to hit b gap but if a team spills it it all it's all dependent on how the team how the defense plays it so on a on a counter say you're going to have the play side so your rights let's say running counter that's going to the right your play side tackle and guard are going to block down. So they're blocking towards the left and they're trying to compress the right side of the line on defense. Now you're going to get the pullers. And if they box it from the defensive end side or the end man of the line of scrimmage side, maybe an outside linebacker sometimes, if that guy plays it outside in, then you're going to hit it inside every time. And you're going to have to take on, you're going to have to have a lead. The the second puller is going to lead through the gap. And it's going to be basically an ISO through the B gap from there. A lot of teams these days spill it, which means you're going to have that end try to come and and take on with the quote unquote wrong shoulder. He's going to try to take away that B gap and force the back to to go outside. And then they're going to have a backer waiting to scrape there. If they do that, there are two or three different ways that that can happen. And sometimes you want that back to turn it up in the in the C gap if that guy steps out a little bit. All of this is happening, remember, in about half a second in terms of the back making that decision. And he's just going wherever the he's following the butts of his blockers, basically. Butt turns this way, you go here. Butt turns this way, you go there. And you know, I I I just don't I don't think that's a concern. I think given what they're trying to do in terms of being a physical offense, pairing some things with with Drake as a as a big play thrower and all of that, 
they're getting out of the running game largely what they're what they're hoping to get and what they need to get. I mean, if if you told me before the before this game that they'd have had as much success in the in the running game as they did in this game against Pitt, I did. If I'm the Carolina coaching staff, I'm taking that every time. They they were they had some success on power run situations. They were able to pound the football into the end zone a couple times. They were able to get some key yardage there at when they when they got ahead. They were able to get a couple first downs running the football, and all that while setting up some big plays on on play action for Drake May downfield. That's the end goal, and you know I think I think they've done they've done well in the running game to do to to become a physical team like they like they said they wanted to be. Yeah, a lot of folks in the chat are, are talking about George Petaway and all. Look, if if North Carolina's coaches thought that he could help them win a specific game, he'd be out there. Um, it's tough to argue what Jason's talking about, but the bottom line is North Carolina's 4-0. Uh, want to turn to the defense, but before we do that, we need to talk about the receivers. We thought they would have a big game, and Buck, I'll get it to you first before we go to break. Uh, J.J. Jones, he had his day. Uh, we thought that deep post would be open. It was there sometimes. But an interesting stat, and I heard Taylor mention it on his breakdown after the game, North Carolina had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven receivers with a catch of 13 or more yards. Buck, that seems pretty good. What do you think about North Carolina's receivers, specifically J.J. Jones stepping up and making some plays? Every uh, receiver – to stand out is is going to have to have some specialized traits, and and JJ Jones has a few of them. He has really good size, uh, and he's got good hands. And the thing that we learned in this game that maybe we weren't paying attention to or just stood out in this game is he's got those typewriter feet on the sideline. Uh, <laughs> Where, where he can hit the keys there right before he goes out of bounds. And, and he did that a couple of times with, uh, you know, uh, the passes that he caught. He's always had a, um, a long average reception yardage. Uh, he, he, I forget what it was last year, but this year he's almost 19 yards per catch. That's a pretty deep ball um, guy. So you would have figured he might be the guy that could uh, get behind uh, Narducci's famous quarters coverage or whatever they were playing back there and be the guy that could get behind that and make a catch. His, his size, I think, helps compensate a little bit uh, for his lack of blazing speed. It's good to have both. You know, it's good to be – you know, a T. Higgins or somebody like that that's huge and can run, or Randy Moss is a typical example. But uh, if you've got some uh, size and strength uh, and, and decent speed, it's a little bit easier to get open uh, behind the coverage. You can use your uh, physical stature to make that happen. So J.J. Uh, Jones uh, showed a couple of traits that we hadn't seen from him before, particularly his uh, – uh, ability to tap his toes on that sideline. Uh, so it's great, great to see him emerge. And it's great to see North Carolina be able to win when they rely on different people on a given night. Last week it was uh, McCullough. And I assume that 
Pitt was doing something special with him, keeping him bracketed. And uh, so that opened stuff up for uh, J.J. Jones and some other people. Um, so I was glad to see Jones have that moment, and I hope he keeps having them. Jason, real quick before we take our break, receiver play. We thought McCullum would be the top of the scouting report. Pretty clearly he was in the receiver category, and other guys stepped up, including Copenhaver getting his first two catches in a couple of weeks. Um, just a general thought on how they've looked and the ability. Andre Green didn't step up like, like you thought he would, um, and, and I, I agreed with you pregame. Um, but just your take here, I think North Carolina's got some ability there. And with McCullum being that guy that creates that gravity, other guys are able to get out and make plays. Yeah, I mean, I think again, the the word gravity there really helps. It's a it's a it's a good a good way to think about that. That and and the more you have success across the board, the more each player's gravity kind of allows the others to have more space, and then that starts to open up the running game as well. One other thing that I saw from JJ, by the way, is he got off the he got off the line got off the line got off the press really well, and you can see with him being healthier, uh, some of the the traits in terms of of quick feet off the line of scrimmage to be able to uh, to basically cause the, the the mirroring defensive back to to move a little bit, really, really change some things. So uh, good for him. I mean, I think this was a game. He made some money in this game. He made himself some money. Uh, he, you know who he else got- is making money? <laughs> Cayman Rucker. Yeah. Came, well, we, we, we will get to that. We will get to that one. You know, the, 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 the puck is finally catching up to where we skated on inside Carolina a while back on that one, but we'll, <laughs> we'll get back to covering that one. But yeah, there were some guys that made some money in this game. And one of them certainly was JJ. I think JJ found himself after today, he found himself on, you know, he, he's a guy that there, I'm sure there were scouts there who just, you know, kind of put a star next to his name of, okay, revisit. You know, we're going to go back and take a look at this guy a little a little closer and kind of put him on our radar. Uh, because when you got a guy that can get off press that well and can win some one-on-ones at that size, it starts to starts to really get attention. So so good for him. And uh, yeah, like you said, the gravity really helps. Going to take a short break. Talk about Johnny T-shirt. First of all, mm. we've mm. got we've got right this second. There's 587 people in here. I need to see six. Six plus, 600 plus. Get them in here. Um, we need to set the record on the day after for folks in the chat. I think South Carolina game was maybe 610 or so. Could Can't remember. Blur. So, any trip to Charlotte's a blur. Uh, but Johnny T-shirt's always available to outfit you for your trips anywhere when you go see Carolina football, Carolina basketball, baseball, whatever you need. Um, there is a ton going on in Chapel Hill today. With I think four teams are in action, including the soccer team, uh, the volleyball team, field hockey, and everything. If you're in Chapel Hill for all that, make sure you check out uh, Johnny T-shirt on East Franklin Street. If you can't get to Chapel Hill, go see them online. They, you know, customer service is a big deal these days. A lot of folks uh, want to be treated right when they're spending their money. Well, Johnny T-shirt's got you covered there, and they're alumni-owned and operated. Check them out, support them, and get your ten percent off if you're premium subscriber national guys will pay the bills this is the day after north carolina beats pitt 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, I'm going to flip it up and start with Jason. Butt brought him up the day after. We have a Drake May portion. We talk about the running backs and all. And I'm pretty sure, Jason, we got to start having a Cayman Rucker uh, portion of the show. I mean, it felt like... Um, watching that tackle try to block Rucker, it felt like me trying to chase my dog back in the day when you just thought you could get him and he just got around me every time. What do you think of Rucker's performance? You talk about making money, Rucker continues to do it. Yeah, well, we, we talked before the season that this would be a money year for him and that he'd make himself a good amount of money. And he's at, he's at least lived up to expectation on that. Uh, he's a guy that, that – you know, generally speaking, when you talk about the sort of ideal edge guy, you talk about guys that are, you know, 6'5", long, have, you know, kind of a twitch about him and all of that. And, you know, he's he's got one of those three traits. <laughs> but what he does have is he's got that twitchiness all in that that powerful package of being a little bit shorter, not quite as long. I do think he's got longer arms than than his height would suggest, because he's able to get his arms on guy, his hands on guys more than you than you would expect from somebody his height. But he does such a great job of packaging his rush moves and making it difficult and using leverage and and all of that to to really make it difficult for the for the offensive lineman. And you can think about how. One of the things that's a good par- a comparison with your dog because you're you're much taller, you're much bigger, and the dog's down there. You got to get you got to bend down to to get the leverage to even get your hands on the dog. There are a number of times where Rucker will come off, and he does such a great job keeping his pad level low, and then he bends so well with the power that he has that you know he's been you know power rushing you power rushing you you've had to set for that this whole time and then all of a sudden you set for the power rush and he gives you a little ghost move <laughs> and you you know you try to get your hand on him and up oh, his shoulder pad six inches lower and now he's got the edge on you and you're in desperation mode uh you know little spin moves little things like that and you you compare that with guys that that don't bring all of that to the table and offensive linemen are going to have a hard time. Uh, and, and the other thing is he pairs that with a guy. This is a guy who spent a lot of time in the weight room, the power through his hips and core and his, his leg strength and his ability to hold up and, and 
and again, the 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 threat of the power rush opens up some of the ghost move, speed rush, you know, uh, rip spin stuff that he does because he is so powerful and he gets up under guys and, and makes problems for him. He's a guy. Look, I, I've said since what he would. I've said for three years now. I would pound the table for him as a scout for the for the next level because this is a guy you want on your football team, and you know he's only further uh, validating that as uh, as he's gone through this season. He's been a problem in every game he's played so far for for opposing offenses. But once upon a time, Carolina had. Guy like Julius Peppers running around the edge, Robert Quinn, those type guys, the big prototypical guys. Um, Rucker's not like Jason said. He, he's a guy that's maybe got one of the three main traits you want, but the dude is a beast. I, I mean, he is a problem consistently. I mean, and, and it sort of speaks to the development and, and all. It, it's inner development as well. But you got to give some credit to the coaching staff to developing him and getting him there. But just the defensive line in general, one thing I thought would be more effective for North Carolina would be the interior line. I don't know that they had a great game without watching it over. And again, a lot of folks are asking about specific plays in the chat. I was just glad to be able to see the game itself on on the TV last night um, for the most part. But Buck, your take on the defensive line in general, I think that's the difference in – this, this other aspect of feeling different about fouring up four and oh well i think in this case it it would help to know what half you're talking about in terms of how they're played because I, I thought overall their depth and uh ability to bring in, in different players uh jacoby cowan came in and played some different guys uh you look at their second half and uh, their drives were uh, field goal attempt missed. Uh, well, that was the second quarter. But in the third quarter, uh, punt, interception, fumble, downs, interception. I mean, somebody was doing something right uh, to cause Pitt to not be able to uh, have a scoring um, drive in the entire second half. So, um that that's where I would start is I, I think that the defensive line has improved. They've improved as individuals and gotten a little better in, in terms of making stops from this year, from last year to this year. But what has really gotten better is their ability to keep fresh players in the game. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, if the, by having that ability, you can wear down somebody, uh, wear down another team that's, uh, they got their five offensive linemen they're not going to move off of, and those guys are facing a different guy every other series that, that they've got to learn his moves. Uh, I think that's a huge advantage for North Carolina this year that they didn't have last year. And I don't know how much of that is due to – I'm sure some of it is, is due to guys maturing and being able more able to contribute. But also part of it has to be a coaching mindset that we're going to get these guys in the game and we're going to find a way to get them in the game. Uh, So I I think the defensive line has improved for those reasons, that they're they're playing fresher, they're more experienced. Uh, They're not the 86 Bears, but they're much improved over 
a year ago. They haven't played the strongest offenses they're going to see this year yet either. Uh, but uh, they they are getting better. Jason, that's a great point Buck brings up right there. The strength of the offenses they've played. And, and for folks watching this, next week is a bye week, but we're going to circle back uh, next Sunday and sort of recap the first four games of the season, the first third of the season, and, and this can be a, a talking point then. Um, how much is it is the offenses they're playing? I think it's pretty impressive that they've given up, what is it, three points or six points in the second half to P5 teams. Now, App is a different animal. But, Jason, just from an overall improvement standpoint, it, it again, it feels different that this team has got some guys – and a lot of them. I don't have the snap counts yet for, for the game against Pittsburgh, but the participation chart is much more substantial. And there was a Sebastian Cheeks and Amari Campbell sighting late in that ball game as well, which is what Thigpen talked about last week and Max talked about all year is getting those guys in. Just in general, that defensive front, front seven or so, um, their improvement over the course of the of the season, but also – in, in the development of those guys to be able to play, come in, and be effective. Yeah, so for the record, there are 21 players listed on the participation chart for, for, uh, for defense. So that's, that's, non, that's non-negligible, right? That's a, that's a decent number. And no, I don't think this is a consequence of just the offenses you faced. Now, you know, we talked about this before, and, and you know, we got a little bit of a sort of tongue-in-cheek criticism about it on the Game Plan podcast about, like, the last offense you guys talked about like this was Georgia Tech last year. Mm-hmm. And there's some truth to that, right? Uh, Pittsburgh had not been good on offense so far this season. I do think they found a couple things against Carolina that some of the early success that they had against Carolina's defensive line was concerning. I mean, as you said at the opener, uh, uh, to open the podcast, anybody who watched that first quarter would have some concern for what Carolina looked like, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Bro, they're getting they're getting pushed around pretty good right now. Now, the fact that they recovered and, and found a way to to get that squared away is the good sign. Now, they need to they need to not let that happen at all. There are too many guys that did get pushed around up front. But all in all, I think one of the factors in why they stopped getting pushed around as the game went on and as you got into the meat of the game in the second and third quarter was precisely that they rotate so many big bodies up front. Right? I think that is a factor, that the, that those guys, when you platoon like that and you go from, say, Miles Murphy and uh, Kevin Hester – in the ball game to suddenly you're, you've got Ritzy and, uh, and Fox. say, yeah, Tamari Fox in there. And then, you know, tossing Shaw in there for 17 snaps, you start getting those big bodies in there. And it's the same linemen that are seeing those guys, the next drive and the next few plays. And they're going, you know, th- that fresh body is going hard. I think that is a factor in why they've had some success defensively especially against the run against two really physical teams that want to run the football the last couple of weeks and it's something that it's not a matter of just playing you know teams that are not great on offense it's a it's a factor of what they're just going to do defensively this year in terms of that rotation now i do think you're going to play better offenses on the season than you have through the first four four weeks i mean i don't think uh South Carolina, although South Carolina has been better in SEC play than I thought they'd be, 
Rattler's actually been really good. Uh, so, I mean, they, they got a, they got another win last night. Uh, but I don't think, you know, South Carolina, Minnesota, and Pitt are going to be in the top third of the offenses that you face this year. But just keep improving week over week and keep using that depth, and that helps you stay fresh as you start to play those better teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, North Carolina's defense was bad numbers-wise at times last year against bad offenses, and that has not been the case this year. That's a step forward. Um, you know, however you want to couch it, however you want to watch it, I mean, I say all along, games are long. They're 60 minutes. Depth matters. Um, wear down matters. And North Carolina started – they struggled early. They made some adjustments, and then they kicked it into gear to shut Pitt down when it mattered starting quarterback, backup quarterback, or whatever. A lot of folks have asked me what happened with Tayon Holloway. I don't know. I didn't see it. I would have to see a different uh, a different view of the play. It didn't look like targeting or whatever we saw on TV. Uh, but anyway, Buck, Elijah Huzzy, I think it was Evan Rogers said, Elijah Huzzy probably has a couple picks, um, has a good game, didn't fair catch the punts and, and return one. North Carolina has mined the portal for a stud in Elijah Huzzy. But you're first because I know what Jason's going to say about it. <laughs> Jason's already said all there is to say about uh, Elijah Huzzy. Uh, you know, definitely a special player. And I, I think um, Mac Brown makes a big point, makes a good point when he says that Huzzy is just a football player. Um, he's just a good football player. And, and uh, he's – really good in that working force in the slot right now. Uh, it'd be better if we could get him on the corner, but uh, he's a special player. There's just no question about it, and you can just see it. And and I, I think this helps bust a little bit of the bubble about, uh, well, you know, he's an FCS player, and he's going to have to go up a notch and, you know, play a different level of competition. Well, that's going to maybe have some effect on some players, but – I think if you're an All-American in the FCS, you might end up being a pretty good Power 5 player as well, and especially with his skill set. What might have uh, held him back a little bit when he was younger was his size uh, because he's not the biggest corner in the world. Um, but my biggest question about Elijah Huzzy is we can't say enough good things about him, is why offenses continue to throw at him. What is going through their brain that, hey, there's a guy over there that's just really good. Let's throw the ball at him. You know, uh, like there's nobody else on the in the secondary that uh, would make somebody a good person to pick on. Now, South Carolina did a little of that with Tayon Holloway, but uh, nobody throws the ball at Marcus Allen, or very rarely. And there's there's a reason for that. I mean. Back when Trey Bly was getting all those interceptions, he was getting all those interceptions because nobody in their right mind would throw the ball at Robert Williams. Um, and Robert Williams was another great uh, you know, cornerback um, and actually played as a true freshman. And, and then uh, when Bly redshirted, they got together the next year. But Bly was, you know, what did he get one year? 13 crazy interceptions, something like that, uh, his freshman year. 
Well, the next year they didn't throw the ball at him so much, but it took them a while to learn, and I don't know why it does. But, uh, you know, I, I do think uh, from a coverage standpoint, that's another place where the North Carolina defense has improved. That uh, They're getting their hands on the ball. I think I saw they had seven pass breakups uh, against Pitt. I didn't even know they threw the ball seven times. But, <laughs> uh, you know, that's, that's the, uh, the beauty of this team is that a lot of guys are doing things that you may not be seeing uh, that's helping them out a lot. And, and one of those things, I think, is just playing tighter coverage all the way around. I think they've, they've worked on that uh, rolling that slot uh, coverage guy back too far, um, you know, backpedaling too far off the line of scrimmage uh, on the slot receiver. So you know, I think they, they're learning and they, they're correcting what they're doing and getting used to this new uh, arrangement with Huzzy and, uh, and the slot, as a slot uh, coverage guy. So, uh, you know, I think that's going to continue to improve. Yeah, I remember – we got the transfers way back in January, and I think I was the first person to walk up to Elijah Huzzy and, and talk to him, and, and he said he was here to play ball. And I asked him about the step up way back then, and he wasn't too worried about it. Jason, um, you know, the back end has been better. It helps to have a guy like Rucker and Des Evans and those guys getting havoc and pressure on the front end. But sort of North Carolina's ability at those corner positions, and you can talk about Huzzy or, or wherever you want to go with this, that's another one of those things. It's the theme of the show is it feels different for North Carolina. Huzzy's a special player, but he's not the only one, and it's certainly one piece to an 11-man puzzle back there. But but how you see that back end, Jason, before we get out of here on uh, the day after? And shout out to – I saw 6.15 in the chat – um, before it blinked out. Need to get it back consistently over 600, but, yeah, shout-out to the 615 that joined us. You're up, Jason. Yeah, you know, I, I think, um, I think first of all, the difference in communication and technique at the cornerback position has been noticeable in terms of being more cohesive with the safeties. And just in general, the corners and safeties seem to be on the same page a lot more this year than they were last year. And the year before. So I, I think that's a factor. Uh, part of that is, again, you've got different personnel. You know, I think Huzzy's been, as, as Buck said, he's been everything that we thought he'd be after we looked at his, uh, at his stuff coming in and he's not even playing the same position that he was expected to play. And I do think he's settling in. I, th I thought that was a really good point that you made, Buck, about him settling in more and really getting getting more comfortable being the primary slot corner instead of playing outside. Uh, and that, by the way, is something that the NFL is going to pay attention to because that's a very important position at the NFL level. And I do think that's a place where he can make a lot of money for quite a few years in the NFL. Um, but the other thing is I do think just in general, the secondary has communicated better and they've, they've handled a lot of, a lot of things, just a lot of the, the match read kind of principles that, that they're supposed to be playing with back there. They've handled some of that better than they have in the past. Uh, I do still think they're, they're trying to find some answers uh, 
at safety in terms of just a little more depth there. Uh, I, I thought last night the starters at safety played pretty well on the whole. Um, but, you know, as the game went on, they, they gave up they gave up a few plays uh, on the back end and the, at the safety spot mostly. And that's something they're still going to continue to work on improving. But I, I think the secondary is, you know, an order of magnitude better than it was last year, where, you know, when you played teams last year that had a pulse throwing the football down the field, you felt like they were going to be able to take kind of what they wanted. And with this group, you feel like, okay, well, they're probably not going to be able to just go to the slot receiver every time they want because Huzzy's going to get his hands on some balls. And, you know, out wide, yeah, you know, that guy, 29's played pretty well. He's going to take some guys away. You're going you're to start limiting a little bit. It's, it's sort of the anti-gravity, <laughs> right? So you, you talked about gravity with a guy like McCollum starting to, to collect coverage, and then, you know, that opens things up for, for some other guys. This is the opposite, right? All of a sudden – well, that guy, that's zero gravity situation when you got Huzzy on there. <laughs> and now that's that's low gravity out there with with uh, with Marcus Allen. And now you're starting to to limit where the offense really feels as comfortable going. You're not getting guys that are going to pop wide open. And then you you also eliminated you've eliminated for the most part. There were a couple again last night that you'd like to clean up. But for the most part, you're not getting guys that are running wide donkey open down the field right where there's just a bust and somebody's just not there and you're like who, there's got somebody and you start seeing guys looking at each other with their hands up in the air like well, i don't know wasn't that your guy i mean you're not seeing as much of that right and that in itself if you can just prevent that where you don't have guys just wide open with nobody in the screen that's a big part of modern football just keep being in the screen and make and forcing people to make contested catches and tackle them at the spot where they make the catch. And you give your defense a chance to make some plays. And I think they've done a much better job of that on the season. I mean, go back to the South Carolina game, the big plays that South Carolina had down the field were plays where a top wide receiver, just one contested catch after contested catch. And you're like, look, I mean, our guy got his hand on the ball and he came down with it. You think about that a couple times yesterday. Guys right there rakes through the ball and the receiver comes down with it and you go, well, tip your cap. You're there, contested catch. Make everything hard. Make them earn it. And eventually there's going to come a time where they're not going to be able to earn it every time. And, you know, that's modern defense. And, and I think Carolina has taken a big step forward on that in the back end so far. Again, they're going to have to keep that up against better pass offenses, but it's been pretty good. Yeah, I mean, if a guy makes a play, if a college athlete makes a play, you tip your hat. If it's a play and a catch that the three of us, well, maybe two of us, because Jason actually played the game, um, can make, then that's a problem. North Carolina hasn't given up those all year. I'm going to look at a a couple questions before we get out of here. It's been a massive day after. so I've got some questions in the chat, and some we'll address next week. So if I don't answer it now, um, but just sort of a preview of next week's show. John Kramer, do you think the offensive coordinator is hurting Drake May's draft stock? We will talk about that next week. No. Uh, that That is a one-word answer. Um, Jack, I can't help you on the targeting. Uh, Jack also asked, can you talk about where you see UNC versus the other undefeated ACC teams? It's a great question for the bye week. Um, after a lot of review, Will Hardy's play there late. Will Hardy could have gotten a targeting and been ejected. 
Um, he still needs to knock that ball down, clearly. Um, and Jordan Taylor, another name I haven't seen a lot, so shout out for joining the chat. Question for all three, and this will be for next week, how good is this UNC team, and how good will they be at the end of the year? I can see this team getting better. I will say just in general, as I've couched it, all, all it's, they're not perfect, but they're 4-0, and a ton to work with. Buck, any closing thoughts before we get out of here? I got something uh, related to the game we just watched. And uh, one thing that we almost never talk about on this show, uh, and especially don't talk about when North Carolina wins a game, is the officiating. Also, Tommy Ashley's favorite topic. Uh, he loves talking about officiating. Uh, but Pittsburgh had eight penalties, or no, 11 penalties for 83 yards. North Carolina had three penalties for 29 yards. And having lived through the Larry Fedora era, when no matter what they tried, they could not get any discipline on either side of the ball. We're not seeing, you know, and against a team like Pittsburgh, you would almost expect to see some false starts and uh, illegal procedure and stuff because they, you know, are so physical up front. Three penalties for 29 yards. And I think part of that may be that college uh, referees and officiating crews have had just about enough or Narduzzi going nuclear on every single adverse call. He just freaks out. And uh, I think that he, that act is, is getting a little tired now. So maybe that's got something to do with it. But um, I think it's a huge positive when you can go on the road in a hostile environment, team known for you know its physical style, and get out of there with three penalties for 29 yards, and, and they're wearing almost 100 out the door. So I, I think that's a big deal and a bigger deal than we're making out of it so far this year. Great point. That is why we are here on the day after. Always that, uh, that, that last thought is something that we probably need to think about more, and Buck makes that crystal clear. You know, at a, at a point yesterday, Colorado had more penalty yards than total offense. Um, but, Jason, I just wanted to mention that game one more time for you uh, just to make sure you knew about that backdoor cover late. Jason, <laughs> uh, final thoughts before we get out of here. Again, a massive day after. We're over time, but I wanted to get your final thoughts as we head into a bye week. Well, I mean, 4-0 is where you want to be coming into this bye. And uh, there, there are a lot of teams around the country that would like to be there. And uh, You think about Clemson right now is 2-2. Two and two. And Carolina has some margin for error right now because of where they're at and how they've handled things up to this point. Winning your first conference game on the road, a road conference game is a big deal. You win a game on the road in conference, you'll take that every time. Even if it looks ugly down the stretch, whatever, you take every road win and you're just glad to have it. Uh, this team's in position to, to contend. They've got some warts, but look around the country. Is there a team that you've seen so far that doesn't that that has played a complete game or doesn't look like it has some warts? Not that I've seen. And this is a year where one thing that's a little different this year from pretty much everything else 
is all of the blue blood teams that have been dominant in recent years. So you think about Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, even maybe to a lesser extent, Georgia. Not one of those teams has the has an elite, you know, NFL quarterback that that you're looking at or a guy that has, that is just playing great football at the quarterback position. Georgia's probably got the closest to that. But you look at that Ohio State if you watch them play the first few weeks, they're not what they've been at the, at the quarterback position, at least not yet. You look at Clemson. They've, you know, Klubnick's a good player and he played really well yesterday. But a lot of teams would trade situations with Carolina in terms of their, you know, almost everybody would trade. I mean, maybe everybody, but, but SC would, would trade uh, for Drake May. And when it's a year like this, where the, the true blue blood programs don't have that elite quarterback, that Deshaun Watson, or, you know, the elf or somebody like that, that gives a team like Carolina who also has some blue chip players at, at various places. And is pretty good up front. Uh, getting better on, on, in some things. When you have a Drake May, you've got a puncher's chance even against those kinds of programs. So, you know, right now, if you're 4-0 coming into this point in the season, you try to regroup and get better at the things you need to get better at so that as you start to play against some of the teams in conference that are a, that are a step above, you're going to have a shot to, you're going to give yourself a shot to have a puncher's chance in those in those cases. So I think, you know, First part, mission accomplished. Now you got to find out how you can get better for the remainder of the season. Yep. A lot of work to do over the next couple of weeks. North Carolina and Syracuse and Keenan Stadium. I believe that's October 7th. That'll be an interesting ball game. Syracuse is a little, a little better than people thought they were going to be. And uh, so it, it's amazing. Game days in Durham on Carolina's bye week. Uh, pretty incredible that game day is visiting Durham. Um uh, that decision was made uh, good for them. The decision was made um, with a, two seconds left on the clock in South Bend and Ohio State losing at the moment. Um, but Notre Dame Duke game week, game day, Carolina Syracuse, October 7th. The next time that Buck Jason and I will talk to you is next Sunday. There is no bye week and off season at Inside Carolina. Shout out to Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com, and shout out to all the po- folks that joined us. Subscribe to this YouTube channel, get the alerts when we go live, and also hit the like button to get it bumped up higher in your feed. Buck, Jason, it's always a pleasure. North Carolina's 4-0. These are certainly much more fun to do when North Carolina's winning football games. See you guys in, I guess, in a week. CBS Friday, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.